let's just pray for the offering. Father, thank you so much for your abundant goodness to us. Thank you that you just give us so much more than we can ever sometimes even hope for or imagine. Um, We thank you for all that's been given today. And Father, we ask that you would give um, those in leadership real wisdom about how to use this money for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, right. We're in 1 Corinthians. Again. (laughs) And... um, we're at the end of chapter 9, it's page 1150. So you can look that up. Okay, well, um, we're back in 1 Corinthians, um, and in case you don't know, um, we call it 1 Corinthians, but uh, probably wasn't the first letter, but it's the one that we have. Um, this letter is ultra practical. Um, unlike some of Paul's other books, it's not uh, diving straight into deep theology and all that. It's straight, really practical, and it's in response to what Paul's heard, so what's been gossiped to him, and uh, obviously a letter that they've written to him asking them stuff. Um, so in this book, you can sort of read between the lines, and you can see that this congregation, um, if we were to meet them, maybe we would be like... Ooh, okay. But the more we look at it, the more we realise that often we're quite like them too, actually. If we really were to be honest, we'd probably say, hmm, actually, we're a little bit like them. Okay, now what encourages me about this is that Paul always starts with praise. Right at the beginning, chapter 1, he just goes mental about praising God for them. And I think that really shows us that in this, he's really certain of what God is going to do. You know, we've been thinking about God's faithfulness. He is certain that God is going to be faithful with this church. He doesn't just think... Mm, forget about them, they're just a mess, let's move on. Actually, he has complete confidence in not in them, but rather in what God is going to do in them over time. And that encourages me. Now, the Corinthians, um, we've been saying they're a little bit like children or maybe teenagers, but I don't want to dish them too much. But... um, They don't really like Paul's discipline. They don't like his instruction. They argue with him. They question his authority. Um, They're a little bit puffed up in their opinion of how much they know and a little bit low on what they think Paul might know. And we've been reading that they've been treating other evangelistic teachers like celebrities. They decide which one they're going to rally around and follow. And they get a bit confused, that spirituality. They start thinking, ooh, to be spiritual, and we can go a bit like this, can't we? It's to kind of have a few lofty thoughts or some, you know, experiences or that sort of thing. Where That's a real far cry from Paul, who came to them weak and trembling and humble and is in prison. Very different to what is spiritual. And remember, later on, they've been blessed with gifts, so they've got gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they clamour for fame. Uh, If you think about their meetings, it was all who would talk first, they're sort of all talking at once and trying to get their place. 
communions become a little bit like any other kind of pagan festival eating time. They're sort of all scoffing their faces and trying to fight for the food. It's just messy. But life is a bit messy, isn't it? And sometimes we're a little bit like that too. Let's read first. Um, It's chapter 9, verse 24. And we're just going to read the last little bit of chapter 9, and then we're going to kick off with that. Paul writes to them, he said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And that's mainly where we're going to stick today. So when I was writing this this week, I was sitting in Trago, (laughs) trying to get my head around in the mindset of running a race. Well, I was just totally hopeless. (laughs) Running is not my thing. This does not inspire me particularly. A friend of mine once tried to teach me running. She'd been a sports teacher for 20 years, and she'd had five years' experience of teaching others to teach sports. And even she gave up and said, maybe some people aren't meant for the land. Stick to the water. And maybe like me, when you read this, you feel a little bit like you just like to roll up quite now and quit. Because that isn't really what gets you going. We'll come back to that. In the Corinthian society, sport was really big. Like this was the second biggest place for the games. You know, like the Olympic Games? Well, this was like the second place. This was big. You know, there would be, you can imagine it, a gym on every corner. There's um, racers. You can go and watch the games. You get really excited about the celebrities that are winning. There would be parties to attend. So they would be used to kind of seeing this illustration of people really working hard, of beating their bodies. Ten months they had to train, at least before they even got a sniff at joining the games. Okay, So it was serious stuff. So that's why Paul uses this illustration. Maybe if I was doing it, I'd be using something about coffee. But no, Paul uses this. He writes that in a race, runners go into strict training. Now, I knew this was coming up, and last week I was watching the BBC Breakfast, which I now watch because I have to get up. Um, And it was Louis Smith. Now, you might not know who he is, we might do, but he has a bronze medal for the UK for the pummel horse. Does anyone know him? He is a gymnast. One person, right. Okay, now, there you go. That's good, actually, one person. He had trained non-stop. I can't remember how many years it was. It was a ridiculous amount of years. Day after day after day, morning and night, he had done it. And he, and he kind of went on about how he pushed himself, no matter what his body was feeling, how much pain he was in. He just went on and on and on, and it was worth it. Because he got the bronze. And I just thought, oh, my life, I feel tired. 
It wasn't, again, something that inspired me. But I bet if he read this, he would be really excited. Now, Paul says they're competing for something that won't last. Now, he's got, what, a bronze bit of metal? A bit of metal covered in bronze? A bit of recognition. One person in our room knows him. It's competing for something that won't last. And yet, he's worked every single day without a break, beating and punishing his body, doing that kind of practice thing round and round. Why? Well, it's driving him. I think what's significant is maybe what drives us. That might be a more health, um, helpful illustration for us. Okay, so what is it that motivates you? What do you really want to do? What is your goal? Okay, so if you've got to achieve something, what's the end result that you are currently plowing your time into? What gets you up in the morning? What do you work hard at? Whatever, doesn't matter. Okay, I was trying to think of this. I was lost a bit because I'm not an overly motivated person. (laughs) But I came up with one thing. I did come up with my daughter. Okay, that's all I know. I'm sorry. But that's all I could come up with, really. And I thought, yeah, now here's something that I will get up for five times a night if necessary. Not complain. Always get up in the morning. Always change those nappies regardless. Even if I want to or don't want to, they just get done. I will play peekaboo with her for the 15 millionth time. It's fine. I don't mind. I will keep doing it. And I will sacrifice my time and my energy and my money for her. And what is my goal? What's my prize? She'll be happy. Little smile on her face. I'm there. I'm happy. Now, for some of us, that is, that's going to hit the spot, isn't it? You're going to be like, yeah, identify with that, Louise, because that's what gets me up. But not for everyone. You need to think about what is your thing that keeps you going. Okay. Now, where was I? <laughs> okay. Okay. Paul reminds us that often we give ourselves to something that is just completely temporary. All right? It comes and it goes. It will rust, decay. It's the changeable and the unchangeable. Paul reminds us that he lives like a strict athlete. He sacrificed his reputation, his rights to a family, his community status, even his health and his well-being of his body has been sacrificed, he says, For a crown that will last forever, a prize that is worth everything. He knows what he's running for, and he desperately wants it for him and the Corinthians. He says, come on guys, this is what we are working for. This is where we're going, isn't it? Because the Corinthians had forgotten what they were working towards. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel a bit tired. We forget why we are running this life. We have to stop. Why am I a Christian? Why am I a Christian? What is my purpose? What am I doing? Why is it when someone says to me, you know, you know what kind of makes your life work? You say, oh, I'm a Christian. But sometimes we struggle to answer why. We've drifted a bit. Maybe we start reading our Bible. Um, we stop meaning maybe what we sing. We forget to pray. We just go through the motions. Could be for our husband or our wife or even our children. We want to be good examples. 
and we can't remember why. And sometimes we get stuck. We don't really move forward. Maybe something hasn't worked out in our life. And actually, we're in a bit of a kind of, actually, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. And we tick along at church. But to be honest, we could quite easily stay in bed. Now, when I was thinking about races, I had to think of something that did try to excite me a little bit. And I remembered when I was a teenager, there used to be this event in the village next to ours, terrier racing. And we would all go... I know, I'll go somewhere with this. (laughs) And we would all go, and these crazy terriers would charge up the the field, uh, chasing this little kind of rabbit. It wasn't a real rabbit, but it was attached to a a tractor. And they would go, whoosh! It was great. You could bet on it, but you didn't have to. Anyway, there came a part where you could put your own dog in. The pet dog could go in. And so they would sort of shove the poor pet dogs into these cages. They had not clue what was going on. Then they would open the gates and some wouldn't even come out. They didn't know what was going on. Some would wander out, start sniffing each other's bottoms. A couple would sort of run off into the crowd. And then after a lot of kind of screaming and cheering, maybe one would kind of lollop up the end and, and see the kind of owner and get a treat. And everyone would like, hilarious. But it reminded me that actually they didn't know where they were running. Now, if we don't know where we're running, we're going to be in the same sort of situation. We're not going to be bum sniffing, obviously. But the similar sort of confusion, isn't it? If we don't know where we're running, we're not going to get there. And, and Paul's, in, in Hebrews it says, let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, do we know where we're running? That's our point, isn't it? I might get a bit sidetracked with my daughter, but do I know where I'm running? What is the purpose of being here now? Where are we going? Okay, if we don't know that, we're just going to be in the crowd sitting down, going back in the cage, maybe maybe not even getting out of it. We need to run. So, what's the prize? We are running for eternal life. We are running to be with our creator, the one who made us, the one who loves us, the one that's promised that Satan, everything that he's done, everything, every bit of rule that he has, every bit of authority is gone. We will be in heaven. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 says this. We see the picture of Jesus, victorious. There's no more decay, suffering, pain. We've got new bodies. We're made like Jesus. Every tear has been wiped away. This life is a blink. It's nothing compared to where we are. Whatever we've done that we were ashamed of is gone. Whatever we did that we were proud of is gone. Unless it was done for the glory of God. It's so easy, isn't it, to lose sight of the goal. When I was preparing this, I was like, what is really motivating me to keep going in my Christian life? And sometimes heaven can just seem like it's so far away. You know, today is just so much more now, isn't it? But we are to encourage each other as we see the day approaching. Paul warning the Corinthians. 
He doesn't want for us, all the Corinthians, to be, he says, in danger of being disqualified. It's not that they won't make it at all, that they'll have no, but it's more that they'll have nothing to offer Jesus. When they get there, we're just like, well, what have you done with your life? Paul says in the beginning of the letter, uh, he's talking about what they do or don't do with their lives. And he says, if it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So it's not saying they're not going to make it at all. Remember Jesus' promise that he will carry it on to completion. But when we get there, what will we have to offer Jesus? What will we have done for his glory? So how should we run? Well, first, we should run carefully. The race of life has eternal consequences. Not that we're saved by works, but because Jesus has saved us from dead works to do good works, to do his stuff. Grace isn't put aside, okay, when we beat ourselves, we're going to work harder, I'm going to work harder. It's not put aside. God's grace is in us and allowing us to do stuff that brings glory to him. Not to ourselves, not to anyone else. We want to give glory to him. James 20, chapter 2, 26 says, Real faith without works looks perhaps a little bit like your faith is dead. It's starting to smell a bit. If you're just kind of drifting in life and we can't see what's going on, what's going on? Have you stopped running? So we should run carefully. We should run differently. Living differently or running with new purpose is clear evidence that something has changed in our lives. We, remember, we don't run to obtain life, but we run to get that life that God has obtained for us. Do you remember that verse? It says, uh, Paul says, I take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. You grab on to what God has taken hold for you. So we are running with the grace of God to get hold of that which is ours, which God has given to us. Thirdly, we should run with self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, talks about self-control. It comes when we genuinely believe the promises of God. We want to do this But actually, God's word says no, and we genuinely believe that God has got something better for us than that. That's self-control. We run in his strength, not in our own. 1 Peter 4.11. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. It's really easy to start relying on ourselves, isn't it? I was thinking about this the other week. We can go into church, and because we have a certain level of social skills, we can pretend that we genuinely love everyone. But we need the grace of God and the strength of God if that is going to be true. If we keep trying to do it in our own strength, it's not worth anything. We need the strength of God. Number five, we should run with others. It says, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We need to encourage each other to keep going. It's hard, isn't it? 
I struggle. I need people to encourage me and say, keep going, Lou. Do you know where you're going? Do you know what you're doing? Do you know why you're doing this? Keep going. And when I'm feeling tired and I want to give up and I want to just curl up into a ball, I need someone to remind me maybe of something good that God's done in their life. Maybe give me testimony. Maybe encourage me. Maybe say, that was really hard for me, Lou, but God came through and he was faithful. We need to keep doing that for each other, don't we? We are running with others, not on our own. And we need to make sure, not think, I'm really struggling. Well, maybe the person next to you is struggling too. Let's encourage one another. Let's say, keep going. It is worth it. And returning to Paul's example and mine, it's not wrong, is it, to win gold medals? We've said this before when we did our stuff on work. It's not wrong to want to serve our children. It's not wrong to want to be ambitious at work. It's not wrong to want to have fit bodies. It's not wrong wrong to want to create elaborate gardens for ourselves. Want to you know get enjoyment from that. There's nothing wrong with that. But we do life. We run for Jesus and His glory. I get excited when I feel the love that I have for my daughter and I remember how much God loves me and I continue to serve her because I want to show her how much God loves her. I want my life to be a reflection of God that she would see that. All our lives need to be glorifying God. So let's summarise that. Keep your eye on the prize. That's what we're going to call it. Keep your eye on the prize. Okay, let's read the next bit, chapter chapter 10. It's quite a long bit, but it's very quick from now on. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud that, um, and that they passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the same, from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it's written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfilment of ages has come. We're going to stop there and we'll come back. Oh no, we'll read the last one. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Okay. Well, some of the Corinthians had stopped running the race. That's really clear. They'd forgotten why they were there. In fact, if you read later on, they'd got to a point where some of them were even denying that there'd be any resurrection, that there'd be any future. This was all there was. And as far as they were concerned, they attended church, they took communion, they spoke in tongues, they prophesied. All was looking good. But although they had all this and claimed to be Christian... 
They seemed keen to learn more spiritual things. It made very, di- very little difference in their life outside of church. Paul uses this example of Israel. He calls them their forefathers. says, your relatives, your grandparents, grannies and gramp, to warn them of the dangers of the life they're living. And he chooses four examples. Let's have a look at them. Firstly, he chooses the cloud. And that's in verse 2. They were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. As God led the Israelites out of Egypt towards the promised land, he led them by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud in the day. And the clouds hid them from their enemies and it led them the way. Their cloud symbolised the presence of God and his spirit guiding and protecting them. Secondly, the passing through the sea. Remember that Israelites fled Egypt. They were blocked by the sea. Uh, God told Moses to put out his staff. He parted the sea. They went across. They were safe. And Paul here suggests that it's a type of baptism. Not literally, but he wants to make a point. And thirdly, the spiritual food and drink. Remember that they journeyed through the desert. They didn't have anything to eat. God provided manna for them every day and water from the rock. And Paul links this to a type of spiritual food like communion. (coughs) He goes on to say that despite this protection, provision, the presence of the spirit with them, the communion that they took, that God was not pleased with them. He says, these were written as an example to you. Instead of worshipping God, who'd rescued them, the Israelites turned to other gods. Remember when Moses was up the mountain? They were down there making the calf. Instead of following God's law, they were committing sexual immorality. Instead of trusting God, being satisfied by his care, they were moaning and groaning and whining. Rather than rejoicing in what they had, they were moaning about what they didn't have. And they just wanted to go back home. They quickly forgot what God had done in the past. He's telling the Corinthians and he's telling us to be warned. He says, look guys, your forefathers experienced God's provision... They experienced his salvation. They experienced his care, just like you. They had their own version of baptism. They had their own version of the sacraments. They were chosen by God. And yet, it didn't mean that they could do just what they wanted. You can't have all the blessings without the responsibility. And one of the things the Corinthians struggled with was that in their society, lots of parties and events all happened in the temple. They would sacrifice food to the idols, they would finish by eating together, and then there would be lots of temple prostitutes. This was the norm, this was how it worked in Corinth. This is how people socialised. It was a massive thing for them to step out of this. But Paul reminded them that actual allegiance to Jesus through baptism or taking communion is not enough. They need to live their life and their soul for him. They become self-assured. They thought they had newfound knowledge. 
they thought, well, we've got the spirit, so we must be doing okay. And Paul said, be careful. Sometimes we can get a little bit like that. We're drifting along. We think we're okay. It's the grace of God. And yes, we're going to make it. But what are we going to have when we get there? We don't want to become arrogant like these guys did. So number two, keep your eye on the past. And finally, let's read the last verses, because that's quite heavy. It says number 13, verse 13, No temptation has seized you except that what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. It's one of the best-known promises of the Bible, isn't it? Paul encourages them that they can live for Christ. What he's saying is not impossible. His high standards he's set are not unobtainable. God is faithful. He will not let them be tempted beyond what they can bear. And perhaps some people were saying this life is unrealistic. Nobody can live up to that. But Paul says there's nothing that you'll face that isn't the same for everyone else. All the areas we struggle with, other people will struggle with too. They're not beyond us. They will never take us to a place that's beyond where Christ has us. There will be a way out. And it might not be now. It might not even be in this lifetime. But Christ has promised that there will be an end. So keep going. You can stand. You can walk. You don't have to sit on the track or run off into the crowd and give in. You may feel like sometimes you're wading through treacle. But God is faithful. He's with you. And this trial will eventually come to an end. And it will be an amazing prize that we will win. So let's summarise. We've got to keep our eye on the prize. We've got to keep our eye on the past, and we've got to keep our eye, maybe we could say for a final P, on the power. We need to know how we're going to do it. It's not in our own strength, but it's through the power that God gives us and the promises that we live by. Let's just pray for a bit, and then the bands will come back and lead us. Lord Jesus, we sit in this place and we want to hear what you're saying. We're often so conscious that sometimes we've just lost that buzz. We've lost that real heart, that real desire to be with you. We've lost that uh, vision of where we're going. And even when we think about it, we don't feel particularly excited. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. We need you so desperately to place in our hearts that vision of where we are going. Lord, we know, we just repent now of the times when we've just drifted, when we've thought it doesn't matter, when we've thought it's not working for us, or we've lost sight of you, and we've chosen to just go with other things that seem like they're more interesting today. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that we need you and we need your power so much. 
Holy Spirit, please fill us afresh today with you. Jesus, help us to encourage one another as the day approaches. Please give us opportunities today to encourage someone else to keep going. And Father, may we radiate you in everything we do, that we give all the glory and all the honour to you. In Jesus' name.